Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. Don Pobia joined by Kyle Bunch, rocking the Austin FC hat. Liking it, Kyle. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, two, two home matches in. Things are, the, the vibe is great. We just got to find the back of the net, and uh, we're living the dream down here. Nice. <laughs> cool atmosphere. I've seen some singing, some chanting online. The chanting's great. I, we're, we're actually, uh, in, I've got two in the supporter section, so I've been spending most of my time right in the throes of it. There's drums, there's nonstop, uh, you know, people on their feet through 90 minutes of intense humidity. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud of what, what Austin's pulled off so far in terms of the fan base and crowd support so uh, yeah and god bless those players to your point running around in this texas heat like that huh it's uh that first game you could tell everybody was uh once the nerves wore off and the adrenaline wore off somewhere around like the 75 minute mark between between the people in the stands and the people on the field we all our legs were shot so uh but but no choice no no seats in the supporter section so you're uh you're powering through Nice. Well, speaking of the direct opposite of Texas, let's head up to the Pacific Northwest with our old friend. You know, we talk about social media. We talk about sports. We talk about advertising. We talk about entrepreneurship. We talk about media. Diana Klushkova, I think you've done pretty much everything that we talk about. So you're like a microcosm of like this show. So glad to have you. Good to be here. Yeah. A little bit of everything. <laughs> so right now, you know, uh, enjoying uh, new motherhood. Congratulations. Um, Thank you very much. You're welcome. But, uh, you know, once you get back into that professional career, you're also dealing with uh, intergalactic. Uh, I don't know. What are you dealing with on Star Talk Radio? I know you're still doing Rebel Ventures, but uh, Star Talk must be pretty fun with uh, with the great Neil Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, yes. So I um, am not good at sitting still. So I do have quite a few things that I'm working on. And that is probably the, the biggest one of them right now it takes up the, the vast majority of my time. So yeah, you know, the guy Tyson, he's an astrophysicist, very um, well known for just having like a massive Twitter following that he built steadily since he launched it oh that's what he's that's what he's known for he's he's known for his twitter that's honestly i think that's why most people know him um but you know he also has hosted cosmos and uh uh various other shows but the show that i work on with him is through his production company uh so star talk is a podcast it was a nat geo tv show for five years uh for primetime emmy nominations I won't take credit for that. I was not around, um, but we're looking to do some more big things. And uh, we also have a sports edition of the podcast. So that's kind of how I weaseled my way into working with them. Awesome. And through Diana, we were connected with Heather Berlin, who uh, is, is mm-hmm. part of that network there. And she was on our mental health panel at our last event back in, in 2019. So thank you for that. But I feel like you've always oh. been like that friend, right? Willing to sort of get involved, but also like make an introduction because I feel like you were one of our biggest advocates early on, right? With, with Yard Barker and kind of bringing that team along. So let's, let's go back to Yard Barker. Um, you know, what was your role there? I, I know you had, uh, did you intern with the Raiders? You'd done some sports stuff. I remember Ronnie Lott was in there. It, it all kind of merges together. So refresh our memory about those yard barker yeah. days. One big blur. Ronnie Law and Harris Barton were actually two of the early investors in yard barker. And that preceded me there. I was employee like number seven, I think, when I came out of college. 
And in college, I'd majored in econ, um, but I kind of, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I liked sports and I was like, why don't you get a sports internship? I did what my mom said. And, uh, I met a guy who was interning for the Raiders. He set me up with a job there is, of course, interning in community relations because I was a woman. Um, that's what women do is work in community, apparently. But it is worked that, out okay. Oh, I've well, interned well, wait, wait, wait. Stop. I mean, like... <laughs> That's a, that's a thing. I always thought that would be like when I, when I said I wanted to work in, if I worked in sports, like that is where kind of, I want to go. Like, that's just where I gravitate towards. But is that a thing? Did you back then too? Like, did you realize, Oh, here we go. Here's this like patriarchal institution and I'm getting wedged into this spot over here. No, I had no idea. I was just like, great. I get an internship. This goes on my resume. This should be fun. And I mean, there is nothing wrong with working in community relations, right? It's a great place to be. And it's, it's a wonderful experience in terms of like, you bring like practice squad guys to the children's hospital and you're like brightening the days of people who don't have a lot of bright days, right? Very easily. And even though I'm not on the team or anything, I'm wearing a Raiders polo. And so they're excited to see me too. It was, it was wonderful. But yeah, I mean, it was pretty soon after that, that I started to realize like, this is where we get pigeonholed into, especially in a Raiders organization where Al Davis is still still around. So it's an interesting <laughs> experience for that. I didn't mean but to cut yeah. you off. But um, go ahead. No, no. I mean, I think that's an important thing to acknowledge. I'm glad we paused there. I think it's gotten a lot better. But even years after that, I sent a good friend of mine, like you said, I'm always trying to make connections for good people that I like. Uh, I sent a good friend of mine to go intern there as well. She was, uh, I think she was already in law school at Duke. Um, and they immediately told her they didn't have room in law internships and pushed her into community again. She like very quickly made her way into being like the main legal intern from there because she's aggressive like that and a badass. But um, it's just like, it's the automatic push, like, Go stand around, ask players to autograph stuff for charity. Go, you know, try to get them to go to community events. Like that's what you're good for. Yeah, I um, through some of the work that I've been yeah. doing with a, an organization that called the Pro Sports Assembly that was started by some by a group of, of you know different professionals across the industry, and we're fortunate to have people like Michelle Roberts involved. But it is it is a recognition of just that that you know okay we love to tout the strides of hey it's not all white bros working in the business side of all of these teams, but there's a very real glass ceiling. Not to mention a lot of boys club other you know and and worse behavior, and and so to me where that's evolved to is like okay community still one of the spots, and where do you see most common is marketing? Like we have tons of CMOS mm-hmm. now at the team level, but how often do we see COOs, COO, CEOs that are female right. executives? A lot, lot less common. And, you know, I think it's kind of that same thing that, look, a C-level title's great, but there's a difference between being a team president or a CEO and a, and a CMO. And, and so I, I think there's, it's something we, we encounter a lot of is there's still so much work to be done. And oftentimes anybody who's even breaking through to those levels is having to, like you're describing with your friend, really fight tooth and nail to do it. I mean, it is a rough path. So yeah, Yeah, but for sure. I mean, even since then, right? Like God, it's scary to think that it's been 15 plus years (laughs) since those days. Um, But tons of progress, like now working, you know, having worked through Rebel Ventures, which I'm sure we'll get to um, with a ton of sports organizations, like 
there is just a, a much more significant female presence. At the same time, there were times where I would come in as a consultant uh, and be speaking to a room of only men <laughs> and telling them what to do. It's pretty good. Um, but yeah, it, the saddest thing about the Raiders situation for me was that there was a female CEO of that organization. <laughs> true. And she, she frankly, I, I, I expected to see like, you know, a hand down from her, right? Like pulling all the women who were interning and working there up. And there wasn't very much of that in that organization. So hopefully things have changed. I'm curious to get your perspective working on the outside. You described like the, the, the rooms full of, of white men and, and then hopefully some that, that don't fit that profile and more diverse and yeah. curious to get, get your take on like what you notice is different in terms of the work. In terms, I think a lot of times when we talk about diversity too often, we talk about it in the context of like, we ought to do this. We should versus that. Like actually the work yeah. will wind up being better when it's more representative. It's not, it's not just like doing this out of some sort of corporate responsibility. It's about trying to do the best possible work. How, how do you notice, you know, without necessarily throwing anyone under the bus or, but, but certainly call out people good. The <laughs> difference when you have those more diverse collaborators to work with as a, as a consultant coming in. Yeah. And I'll, I'll see if I can think of any specific examples of like where that has gone well, but more broadly, right. My career has sort of meandered in and out of sports over the years. Um, I on occasion get very tired of it and then come back to it. Um, but what I found is especially, and I can speak for the, like the marketing fund and the way that digital has impacted that. Um, it has really created those opportunities for um, my more diverse voices of all kinds to come in because that old boys club cannot keep up with the changing landscape of digital. Um, and so that was a lot of the work that I would come in to do with Rebel Ventures was um, you know, this big giant brand that has millions and millions of customers around the world um, and cannot effectively monetize them using the tools of 2021, like, or even 2010 <laughs> sometimes. Um, and so, and it's because a lot of the folks who have been working there um, are wonderful, smart, hardworking, but have been working for that team for decades. Uh, work for that team because they love the sport and the team itself um, and have no outside industry experience that they can bring to the table. And so that's, that's where I was very fortunate. We're like, I had my initial um, sort of professional experience in sports, was able to go outside of that, work for big brands, work for big agencies, work for smaller companies, and take all of that knowledge and bring it back into sports with Rebel Ventures. Um, and so that's where I've seen a lot of other folks who come from those different backgrounds be able to come in and they might not know very much about that specific sport. Um, it's like a very Ted Lasso situation that I found myself in working with soccer teams because um, <laughs> I had no idea how soccer worked. Um, but it, it doesn't really matter, right? This is the product. This is the industry. If you understand marketing, if you understand the platforms, if you understand um, kind of the, the science of user journeys and things like that, um, it doesn't matter what you're applying it to. And so that has opened up a lot of doors, I think, because um, there's been way too much of a narrow focus of like people working for teams and sports organizations who just love the sport or the team rather than understanding the industry. Um, so that's 
that's where I think it's been incredibly valuable running it like a business. Yeah. I always feel that people want to work in sports. Like, you know, that's so general as well. And like I, when college kids ask me for, you know, advice of what to pursue, I'm like, find yourself a skill, right? You work for, you know, you do do a marketing piece for a team, right? You, there's video editors, videographers, there's copywriters, there's creatives, there's strategists, there's community managers, right? There's there's a lot of different ways to work in sports. When people say they want to work in sports, I'm like, what do you want to do in sports? And I think that's like very similar. There's this passion. They want to be around. They want to be around the team. You know, the other part of it is like, it's work. It's not all fun. Like you're not there to enjoy the game. You're there to, you know, to do something. And yeah, I, that's, that's the worst. I hate that work in sports phrase. I really do. <laughs> well, and ultimately, if people don't change that perspective, I don't think it's, it's very likely for them to become successful at working in sports in the long run, right? Yeah. If in your early 20s, like, yeah, you'll like take whatever job, do whatever. Yeah, they're whatever selling, they're, they're marketing um, execs that are selling tickets in the ticket yeah. office. That's, that's, that's the foot in right there. Exactly, And that's, that's the shit I refuse to do. I was like, no, I'm not going into that windowless room to sell Raiders tickets. I'm not doing it. I'm going to go get another job. <laughs> but I, I'm which actually... how I yeah. ended up at Yardbarker, which was your original question. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. Get it, Kyle. Well, I was going to say, I, you know, it strikes me, the, the experience I'm also curious, I've seen a bit of... So, you you know, the path that's really interesting in going through sports sometimes is, you know, get that foundation in sports. To your point, Don, you know, kind of understand that sports isn't technically an industry. It's sort of several different industries that sit under an umbrella, right? It's a media industry. It's a live events industry. It's a athletics and, you know, apparel and sporting goods, you know, and, and the currency and maybe a long-winded way of... Diana, do you find that the the often the currency of sports goes so much further outside of sports when you walk into a room of general marketers and you can tout sports experience? I find sometimes that they care more about the sports world's like I'm jaded. If you weren't running a team, who know what do you really know? And outside, you suddenly find like the exchange rate on that knowledge and experience is is significant. I, I, do you have oh. you had those experiences? For sure. Everybody wants to talk about it. Right. But, and it goes in both directions. Like to your point, if I walk into a room of sports execs, right? Like, yes, I get credibility in listing all of the many sports teams and organizations I've worked for, but then they want to hear about working for Levi's. They want to hear about working at Omnicom and working for Nissan and Nike and Activision. And like, so yeah. uh, that's where, again, like, my advice to people who want to work in sports is like, or work in anything, quite frankly. I had people at Omnicom who were just out of college and they're like, I want to continue to work in paid social media and like keep going down that route. I'm like, dude, that is so narrow. You cannot limit yourself to that because especially in anything digital, like that might completely go away in five years. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's good to be able to draw from that diversity of experience. When you talk about diversity, Kyle, right? It's like, not just skin color, like, you know, gender or whatever else. It's diversity of experience and stories. Like even, even being um, kind of bilingual and multicultural background, right? Like I was born in Russia. I moved to the U.S. at a young age. Uh, there's a lot of uh, value in my understanding of like bicultural people, right? In terms of marketing to a, a diverse audience. So I think just diversity of, of experience and who you are as a person is so important, not just like professionally, but also personally for people to get fulfillment out of what they do. 
And I go back to what you you mentioned because uh, uh, I've certainly had the same experience. I think I would I, I sort of encourage everybody. I'm sure Don, you probably say the same. You should go in and out of sports. I think that's easy. And look, over the course of the conversations we've been having with different people, all these friends of ours from all these years, I think there's a flip side. There's a tendency sometimes to feel, you know, in this total sports thing, like you're quitting, right? Like, oh, you know, I've watched people, sometimes myself included, who feel like they have to stay in that industry because they have something to prove. And in fact, giving yourself a break and going and taking those skills and going and, you know, having those conversations on the other side and potentially coming back. I think it's just maybe there's a feeling that once you walk away, you won't be able to come back. And I think what you're saying is so true that actually the, that experience outside will make it that much easier to walk back in. It's not that you, what you're going to be missing out. It's going to be all the knowledge that you're bringing in from the outside. The, the industry is going to keep doing their thing and know all the things that are happening inside a very insular industry. But uh, it's such, I feel like that's a gr- great piece of advice of if you want to get ahead in sports, plan to not spend your whole career in sports yeah like like and and look at me like i look at you know what was it peter moore or was it peter moore at at, uh liverpool it's like the guy ascended to ceo of liverpool and led them to like the probably like a great story he was popping in and out of the video game world in between i mean he was at ea and now he's at unity and i mean i think those paths are very very much more and more common across sport, not the lifers anymore. So anyways, that's, that's my, that's my amplifying signal boosting on what you said. Cause I, it resonates with me a lot. <laughs> and um, hopefully a lot of yeah. the people that listen would feel the same. And kind well, of like what Don was saying too, right? Like there are just more and more ways to work in sports. You look at, you know, the, the like uninterrupted of the world, right? The things that athletes are doing, the things that you guys are doing with athletes, um, just the, the content creation, like so, so little of sports at this point is sitting down and watching a game um, like broadcast rights were the end all be all right. Like you're, you're showing the game. That's what sports is. And that's just one piece of the puzzle at this point. And who knows how that will continue to evolve. So like the, the opportunities just keep expanding. You just kind of have to look at the right skill set to be able to take advantage of what the next thing is going to be. Well, there's the next thing and there, there's the first thing. Let's get back to Yard Barker. I feel like you worked there for a yeah, decade, right. but now I'm looking, you're only there for like two years. Like, I yeah, just yeah, two years. always felt like I, so. Yeah, so you get, it was like synonymous for, with Yard Barker. For, but, but I uh, want to talk about Yard Barker. The, we had it. Eddie. all bloggers there. Yeah, we had like Eddie on there and a couple other folks. Um, yeah. Um, was it ahead of its time? Um, what was... What's your overall impression of what that was when it was and now what it was in retrospect? Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, because at the time, I mean, if you I know, if you know, you know, as, doing, the, right? like, as the kids would say, if you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I always, I'm always like, Yard Barker, uh, have you heard of it? Like, we were Bleacher Report until Bleacher Report copied us and, and did it better. Um, eventually, they did it better. At first, they did it worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was 21 coming out of college. I found, uh, I was looking for like sports ish related things, uh, to apply for, found a listing on Craigslist for, a they were looking for a programmer for the site on Yard Barker. I checked it out and I just emailed Jack Foster and I was like, listen, I know you're looking for like a tech person. I think I should do marketing for you. I didn't know what that meant. I was coming out of college with an econ degree, like, but I was like, I want to work here. And they brought me in. They're like, okay. (laughs) 
Um, and so that's how I kind of just turned into the person who was who ended up managing the Yard Barker network of bloggers. Like one of the questions in my interview was, do you know what a blog is? And I said, I think so. I I didn't. <laughs> like that's where we were at, right? <laughs> and so um so yeah, and, and at that point too, it was like, what are we doing with this network? Because um, initially they they set out to create like the dig of sports, and it was just about kind of curating all of this content from across the web from all these bloggers. And then we had a few sites that were running our ads, and I was like, hey, like we have sites in our network. We have like twenty of these sites. Some of them have our ads. Some of them don't. Like, do you think that they should all have our ads? And Pete was like. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And he's like, we were making it up as we went along, quite frankly. Um, but obviously, you know, everyone from there went on to do well. And Yardbarker's still around. And I think um, they bought it back from Fox. Um, I haven't caught up with those guys in a while. But yeah, I became the person who managed that network. And I was very close, especially with those original 20, 100, 200 <laughs> bloggers, like we were on GChat all day, every day. That was my job is like to hang out with you guys online, which is great. Um, but yeah, we were all sort of discovering like what this could become. And in that sense, yeah, it was very ahead of its time. It just didn't quite know what that was going to look like. Um, and it, it definitely like became 2020 in hindsight. I don't envy you. I mean, we've done it to a certain extent of having to juggle sort of the personalities, but I mean, especially then everyone's anonymous back in the day for the most part. I feel like we all yeah. were a bit of an asshole, right? at least like the personas were, um, you know, not so much offline, but uh, like the, some of the, I mean, you probably knew a lot of those yeah, personalities on a, on a pretty, um, you know, pretty intimate level, right? Yeah. And it, it's funny to see like, you know, I'm, I'm still connected with a lot of people on Facebook or like LinkedIn or whatever. And like some people like went on to like lead normal lives and sell insurance. And some people went on to like have their own basketball TV shows, you know, and it's just like, it's crazy how it goes in all different directions. Um, there were a lot of personalities, but I will say that like, I think I, I got along well with just about everybody. There were like, I won't name names, but like one or two people stand out as being not super friendly all the time. But for the most part, I think we were all buds. And it was just, again, it was my job to just like hang out with you guys and advocate for you guys as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like. Uh, it, it was uh, everybody like, I think was. Sorry, uh, it was it was it was a magical time. We were all getting to write about sports and have a microphone. It was like, yeah, you know, there was just so much positive to it. It was, yeah. But then Yard Barker was like, you can kind of make some beer. beer you can make some beer we money. Made a little bit of money from yeah. this. Yeah, exactly. It was like it was like we took Google AdSense and made it like uh, uh, gave it a human face and sports theme, you know. And it was like, oh yeah, this is way cooler than running, you know, irrelevant ads for you know whatever mesothelioma class action yeah. suits via Google AdSense. <laughs> right. And eventually they got successful at that, right? Like we hired guys who came from ESPN digital sales and like, ultimately we started actually running brand ads, but for a good chunk of the time that I was there, we were still paying you guys minimum guarantee to run yard barker ads. Yeah. Uh, so you guys were just getting like Ronnie lot money uh, for quite a bit there. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, Ronnie. 
Which are fine. Ronnie can share. It's okay. Uh, you know, mem- member of the Trojan family. That's how we. That's how we roll. USC. Okay. You know, we're just taking well, care of everybody. Well, I mean, also at some point, I mean, you know, early on the on the branded content side, I know, you know, me and Lucas under Blogs of Balls umbrella was doing some video stuff when you had some sponsors come in for like T-Mobile, etc. Um, so, so that was kind of cool. And then again, it's kind of early, like, all right, influencer marketing slash, you know, uh, branded content uh, was was pretty cool. There was also that wasn't there was that sort of division maybe that's i don't know what else to call it where it was almost going to be like the players tribune wasn't it like where athletes had their own blogs i remember like mcnab and you know i don't know if he actually wrote or did anything but i remember that was one of the names that was thrown out there again early before this was a thing kind of and before social media platforms became what they were for athletes that was a platform for athletes to be able to reach their audiences absolutely because we're talking pre-twitter right like which is so weird to think about but it was pre-twitter um and so we had marshawn like writing one line blog post <laughs> on yard barker well you know lang whitaker told us he, he invented that <laughs> lang whitaker inv- invented that oh, yeah. He, yeah he invented twitter because he wanted to be able to be at a game and just throw one-liners up on the website is there a way that we we can do that so all right Mar- <laughs> marshawn might have predated lang in terms of uh of inventing twitter so good to know yeah we'll have to dig up some old marshawn blog posts but yeah, so that actually predated the whole blogger network, right? Again, the the original concept for, for Pete and Jack was like this dig of sports and also athlete blog. Um, and so they, I think they signed on Donovan early um, and a couple others early. And so like that was always a piece of it. But again, it's just like we kind of didn't know exactly what to do with it yet because the industry wasn't ready for it yet. Brands weren't ready to invest in this kind of stuff. Certainly not spend the kind of money they're spending on it today. Right. Um, and so it was, it was an uphill battle. Um, but I think we did get there. I remember, and I think this is after I left, but you guys did something with like Vernon Davis and like video games. And I don't know, maybe you guys weren't involved in it, but yeah, we did, uh, Vernon Davis threw a draft party for Vontae Davis. Mm -hmm. Vontae Davis was his brother. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so Vernon Br- threw it for him. And actually, I was looking for that video the other day because I saw Brandon Jacobs was looking to make a comeback. And basically, he told Chris how he likes to run through motherfuckers. So uh, I wanted to bring that back up for his uh, for his big comeback that he's that he's attempting. So we did that. We did the the T-Mobile stuff was with uh, five NBA players in like NBA City. So we had like Joakim Noah, Gallinari, um, a couple other guys. Uh uh, Scalabrini <laughs> was uh, White Mamba. We had some guys. So, you know, it, it's crazy that you said like brands weren't ready for that. It seems like they would be all over that. Like, you know, like what were they waiting for? I don't know. I do not know. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I mean, maybe I, I don't know, but maybe I have some guesses, right? So I think brands in general are very, from what I've seen between brands and their agencies, right? It's a lot of rinse and repeat. They like to stay safe with what they've done before. Uh, It's hard to get in trouble with whoever's above you when it's like, well, I just executed the exact same campaigns that we've always done. Um, And so that's kind of the safe space to play. So like once 
once a certain publisher or um, partner kind of works their way in there, they tend to stay in there for a long time. Like when I was at Levi, it's just like every season we did something huge with Refinery29. Was it doing anything for us that point? I don't know. But it's just like again and again and again, because that's just what we did. Um, so I think that that was part of it. And then there's also just like this reluctance to do anything that was marketing and not straight advertising. Like, what do you mean we're not just going to talk about the brand and have product placement and whatever throughout this? What do you mean? Like, I'm just going to make this possible and therefore build affinity with my target audience. Like nobody, nobody was um, willing to put their neck out for something like that, I think. And now it's like everyone's come to the realization that that's what people want, right? Like that is the type of brand that people feel good about supporting is one that uh, stands for something and puts their money into it, whatever that might be, um, rather than just like shoving their logo down your throat. It's, I, I feel like it's also easy to sort of forget, you know, because it's be, the sort of weird brands and the willingness of brands to do some really weird things within social media is, has become, you know, we've had years and years of it. But if you go back to then, it was like there was Old Spice and there was like a couple brands that took chances in in the sort of even just in digital in the early, it's early social days. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you'd go to Burger King and you'd go to Old Spice and you'd have these handful of brands that were willing to kind of do exactly this early days of like, how do we let our brand just seep into culture? And, and you know, I think that was mm -hmm. it, it just again, like you sort of recognizing from the brand side, that combination of sort of the inertia of just once we find a media buy that works, we stick with it. And just a very different time as far as how brands tried to show thought that they, you know, the last days where a brand could be so aggressively top down and think that that was going to just work. Now it's almost yeah, impossible yeah. if you're not out. Thankfully that just happened pretty quickly. Right. Um, at least it feels fast again. It's been 15 years, but yeah, I feel like had Yardbarker started to kind of build into this two, three years later, everything would have been more ready for it. I, I mean, I, to me, it's like you don't have to go any further than to look at where, where Barstool is at and the brands that buy into Barstool today, which oh is, God. you know, yeah. like, I mean, the would have been considered some, you know, some of the more controversial parts of the yard barker universe if they were even there if they weren't sort of moderated out of of the platform um and to now have a lot of huge brands that are you know have gotten comfortable with that it's it's a yeah, yeah. Really is it? diana was what that part so of your role you were there like before all that yeah. whoa I was, I was gonna say was that part of your role figuring out who was a little too uh waggish for the yard barker network like bumping, bumping, bumping the, uh, the, those, uh, yeah, those extremists out of, uh, out of the network. We, we did have to break up with some people. Yeah. 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 No, I remember that. Uh, right? but, <laughs> um, it, but that, that didn't happen for a while. I think until like my very last days there, cause you know, early on, it's just like, get as many people as we can get the numbers up. Uh, without the numbers, we couldn't sell anything. You know, it was all about comp score at a certain point. Um, so yeah, it, it's just so funny how I like inadvertently fell into like learning the whole digital space. And also, when Twitter did come around, I was like, Diana, you're the youngest one here, run the Twitter. And so I was like tweeting with all you guys. <laughs> Some something's um, never changed because I feel like that's still the the de facto. Oh, the young person, they're now they're gonna do uh, Snapchat for us. Oh, you're young, yeah. yeah, you you know, you know TikTok, do TikTok. 
And on the one hand, like that seems like it sucks, but actually it's just such a huge opportunity because that's the future of the business. And now you're going to be an expert in it from day one. Like I have as many years of experience in marketing on Twitter as you can possibly have. Right? Yeah, like, my, my, uh, <laughs> I, we're starting to see this crazy thing where you're getting the first generation of CMOs who in some cases, they were the account rep who was like, ah, I'll try Twitter. I don't know. And then like built it over time. And now they're literally have ascended to that level. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of this, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it continues to this day, right. If it, as again, in those career advice things of like, don't just raise your head the stuff that's brand new. Guess what? You can be as much of an expert as the 20 year professional. It's like the <laughs> fastest way to jump forward in terms of being able to be in rooms you probably wouldn't otherwise be invited into yet. Yeah. And And that's why it's also just fun. Like that was the good thing about it, right? It's like, was I getting rich working at Yarborough for a lot of college? No, but I had a lot of fun just like hanging out with you guys and like doing our like really under the radar basement uh, events, you know, our Hooters Super Bowl party with Marshawn and Jonathan McNabb. (laughs) You guys were there, right? In Arizona. No, wasn't at that. No. no. Um, but oh, I mean, man. you were doing so the like. The venue we can get because Tempe was completely booked out. We're like, I guess we're going to Hooters. I loved, I loved the Yard Barker like meetups though. Like you used to have meetups in, yeah. in various cities. Like, Oh, I think I went to, I think I went to like three of them. Like, Oh, they're in Philly. I'll go to Philly. They're in New York. I'll go to New York. They're in DC. We'll go to DC. Well, you but did a little that, like Northeast tour and you just followed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that was a lot of fun, but I think you hit on a really great point of like you gained experience through, um, just being kind of thrown into it and forced into it. But I think that what you did at Yardbark and in these other places and, you know, even national football Post, where it's not just like the social side of it, but like the content side of it, as you move into sort of broader marketing uh, roles, you understand that end of it, which I think a lot of people that don't like get their hands dirty and, and blog and do the social side of it and podcasts, et cetera, really, don't understand how to do it from a marketing perspective, right? Because it's all about, I forget who said it. It might've been Spencer Hall at some point about, you know, your, your audience is your editor. Like, do you have an editor? Uh, Somebody asked it at blogs and balls. Yeah. My audience is my editor, right? So the audience kind of dictates like what works and what doesn't work. And the way to do that is being a blogger. Like, you know, what people are reading, what they're not reading, you know, what gets viral and what doesn't get viral before viral was a thing because Jimmy trainer would pick it up. And then, you know, skates would pick it up and -and so-and-so would pick it up. Right. There was these early buzzwords that we did just, or we learned just by doing that. We didn't realize they were actually like kind of building skill sets for that next phase of our career. It's a a total intuition that gets built, right? And not only through that, and I don't know if you remember, but I decided I had to like put my money where my mouth was and like actually start my own blog. And it was absolutely terrible. And I looked back at it a while later and was completely ashamed. And what was that called? Uh, (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. No, no, you have to because we've got to compare (laughs) that to, uh, was it something to do with chicks, chicks, something? So I, I was like, I, I'll just do a blog where I bitch about sports things. And Pete was like, well, you can't use bitch in, in the title of that. I was like, okay, like, I'll make it sports biatch. Yeah, yes. But I spelled it B-I-O-T-C-H. And so all the guys were like, at Yard Barker, like sports biotech? 
And that's what they called me for the rest of my time there. <laughs> oh, so bad. Wait, Kyle, we, we need to compare it with uh with Maggie Hendricks, right? Didn't she have like one that she was quite embarrassed by too? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna do a side by side at some point. We're gonna have to use that way back machine. I, I feel like in general we should have like the the graveyard of bad. I mean, you, and honestly, I mean you you as the proprietor of Hugging Harold Reynolds have to probably be high on the list, like the one who should bring this together. I've said that before. Before, yes, I've 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 taken ownership of I that. See, I could see like a nice bracket of just like worst blogs of all time. I had a briefly, uh, I had a briefly, uh, a brief blog that thankfully is long gone, maybe somewhere in the Internet Archive, called the Cosby Sweater. So that's that's definitely I'm willing to put that one on the I list. I didn't know that was you. That, that was uh, I, very brief. This is when I had like 20. TypePad made it way too easy, and suddenly I had a blog for everything, and uh, eventually <laughs> got carried away. But yeah, that's definitely one I, I don't you know proudly display on the portfolio necessarily. Not a not a name that. Uh, one of my favorite names right. was uh, Legend of Cecilio Guante. Do you remember that? Yep. <laughs> There's a, there's a Hall of Fame sort of category, and then there's a sort of you know Razzies category that we could be. Our friend Nicholas with P. Sam, uh, Pitt, Pittsburgh Sports and Mini Ponies would just be, be a daily <laughs> blot, like the link dump just fi- featured a picture of a, a mini pony. Like, like that was a th- that was a thing. <laughs> oh man, where 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 did we get off track here? <laughs> about that intuition for what will catch on right like that's exactly the kind of shit you should be doing and here we are talking no, but, about oh, it 12 say, years later in terms of like actually publishing content right not only that but i was so glad that i ended up just like again very randomly through a craigslist hosting at levi's as a social coordinator working my way up uh to to lead social for them globally but then I got pulled over. I wanted to move to LA. I got pulled over to our Omnicom uh, team, right? The, our agency partners. I mentioned that I wanted to move to LA and our account director was like, we'll hire you. So <laughs> ended up in Omnicom. The experience in paid media is like totally invaluable. I recommend it to everybody, even if you want to end up on more of a creative um, side of things understanding in like a very precise a b testing experimentation format like what works what doesn't work and what people respond to is incredibly valuable and then you can take like those bits and pieces and put it into something more creative but i think in general that's continued to be a problem in in sports content in in everything that that people do online is the the um kind of segregation of creative people and like media people um i think bringing those skills together is where you can really uh make some goals because like you have to have great creative and it can't be like formulaic but at the same time understanding some of these like psychological bits and pieces of like really what the data tells us people respond to is is totally invaluable so uh, I heard this correctly, right? You got the Levi's job through Craigslist as well. Did I, did I hear that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I thought that's I, what I heard. Who knew, who knew that Craigslist? What the hell? I don't... Like, wait, wait, so. And, and I got the StarTalk job by looking up their uh, phone number through who is like for their domain registration. 
And I was like, I don't know if I'm calling Neil deGrasse Tyson here. <laughs> like, who I'm calling? And then yeah, you got to, you got to, his co-executive producer. Neil, you got to pay that extra ten bucks a year for to to hide that information. Neil, <laughs> come on, man. That's Thank not that's God not that difficult. It, it wasn't Neil. It was Helen. Uh, <laughs> the the um the woman behind the entire star talk operation along with neil um but yeah i mean i just reached out and was like hey i think i can help you i'll i'll volunteer like i appreciate what you're doing and after a few months of volunteering she's like hannah we really gotta pay you I was like okay awesome so, that's yeah so don't send out resumes to job listings. If anyone is here for career advice, like that's not how you ever get a job, really. Craigslist, <laughs> Craigslist, and who is uh, stalking domain registrations? That's that's the way to go, according to yeah. Diana. Stalk um, people. <laughs> Diana, you, answer. You, you touched on um, some female executives in, in in the space. So kind of moving back forward. Um, you know, we mentioned Rebel Ventures, you know, talk a little bit about some of the clients there. And I know you do like a lot of, uh, you know, digital work for teams, um, you know, a lot of, uh, well, you can explain it better than I can, but, but I do know like through that, you know, we have mentioned Heather Berlin, but you'd also brought like Melissa Proctor from the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I think you moderated that mm-hmm. panel right out in, uh, out in Chicago. Yep. Um, you know, so again, always kind of helping us out, but you know, uh, Atlanta Hawks, you know, big, big time clients uh, with a company that you founded, which it seems a lot of the skill set that you developed over the previous 10 years from literally getting your hands dirty, right? Absolutely. So that was, you know, I ran into Craig Howe, uh, who's the the original founder of Rebel Ventures and brought me in uh, early on. Um, and I, I can't even remember at this point, Craig just kind of knows everybody and I don't even know how I ran into him. Um, but he brought me over from Omnicom and one of the biggest challenges that he laid out for the clients he was working with, and he was already working with Liverpool and Real Madrid as just like an independent contractor, essentially. Um, but one of the biggest challenges is like, these guys don't know what their digital properties are worth. Can you help them figure that out? And I was like, absolutely. Like I'm working in paid media. I know exactly what brands pay to get in front of specific audiences. Right. So let's translate that to what the value of getting in front of Real Madrid's audience is um, in, in their social channels or on their website or whatever it might be. So um, now this is only, that's, that's where this, the skills really came in. This is only five or six years ago, correct? This is, this isn't yeah, six years. Ago, so yeah. major, yeah, literally, two of the biggest sports properties in the world are having trouble quantifying their digital value, which is shocking. This isn't, this isn't 2009 yard barker time. This is 2015. Exactly. And we ultimately, I mean, I worked with 20 of 30 NBA teams. We had a really strong partnership with the league itself. Um, and worked in a variety of ways with, with different teams, whether just like workshops or more long, long-term partnerships. Uh, several NFL teams um, worked with the Rams when they first moved out to LA with a skeleton team. Oh man. Um, we had one, one guy running their app, their site, and their social channels. I got volunteered to help him for the season. <laughs> Um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, so anyway, a lot of these major properties, yeah. And, and ultimately there was just like this disconnect. And again, the, the folks who were selling, um, for the team had 
often been there or at another team for a very long time, had always sold the way that they sold, um, prioritized in arena, in stadium properties, and thrown in digital media for free. And so it just became like a matter of education of how valuable this could really be and the fact that really many more people are seeing this content versus what's happening in game anymore. Um, you know, especially you look at the Hawks, like they they had some major attendance struggles, right? Like, and I remember putting up a graphic for them of like, here's how many people have attended games this year. And here's how many people have seen your social content this year. This is the more valuable property right now. We should sell it as such and not throw it in for free. Um, and, and brands know that this is of high value. Um, and that's the thing too, on the brand side, there are a lot of folks who just buy sports sponsorships and also aren't aware of the value of that media. So as all the things kind of progress and, and people shift around and um, people with more of the media experience are involved in this whole process, it's starting to kind of iron itself out. And so Rebel has really evolved from being the consultant that helps everyone understand this process um, in the sports world to being um, an executor of some of these programs, right? So like the bridge between brands and sports properties and executing like incredible digital campaigns. I I don't know how much you, and again, you've touched a lot of different things like me. So I understand that, but um, you (laughs) know, right. So I don't know how, how, you know, actively you are so involved with them, but did you see over this past year where just sort of a, a pivot or a shift or maybe like, uh, a, a new need for, you know, for those services and those sort of strategic approaches kind of pop. Like, I mean, the first thing that just popped to mind for me was like the CFL, right? How they're so reliant on like gate attendance and the, the questioning whether the CFL is going to come back is whether or not they can actually play because that's what they strictly rely on, right? So having to shift from nobody being in stadiums to how they're consuming it, right? Are they consuming it live and watching these things with nobody in the stands or in the stadiums and piped in audio, uh, or are they just consuming clips as opposed to entire games or matches? So, uh, did you see anything over this last year that, um, yeah, that stood out? Yeah. Um, this last year has been between COVID and pregnancy, uh, has resulted (laughs) in me not being super involved. I will be honest. Um, but I think just in general, the, it led to like a big aha moment of like, we can't continue to put our eggs in this basket, right? Like we have to evolve. Um, and not only is, is that a factor for sports organizations and, and teams in particular, um, but also the fact that athletes have gotten ahead of the game versus the teams that they work for. Um, athletes have understood that they need to be their own brand, that they need to be their own publisher Um, They have invested in content properties for themselves, whether it be an uninterrupted or just their own individual thing, right? Whatever they're interested in, whatever they're passionate about. And so um, teams are really starting to realize, especially through the pandemic of like, these athletes have something to fall back on and we don't. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. And fall back on and build empires around. Right. Uh, where do you think that I'm curious to get your thoughts, you know, cause we talk about it a lot, uh, you know, professional athletes today, obviously 
NIL will allow that much more of a running start for, for athletes who can be building that social brand and monetizing it right away. Right now, I think a lot of athletes know it's important, but the reality is it's kind of like the thing they're building to then monetize once they get through college. Where does that go? You know, where, where do sports go five, 10 years down the road? I'm really interested in things like the next round of collective bargaining agreements and, and where does the league try to, you know, horn in on this? I, what's your, whether it's, you know, informed from conversations you're having or just predictions around like as this continues to go, it feels like it's hard to wrestle back interest and attention from players. They're people. They're the ones that like, they're the reason we watch the games. It's, it's an interesting shift in the power dynamic. Where do you think it, how it evolves the, the next few years? Um, so I, I'd hate to even speculate because again, I've, this is one of my not so much working in sports periods of my career. Um, but again, I think more generally, like from, from what I've seen, right. It, it has to be either that, um, the team step up and somehow bring, uh, something to the table for the players, um, and, and add value or they're just going to be playing a losing game versus the players. Cause it is the players that everyone loves and with how often players switch teams, right? Like that's the draw. Facebook forever has been touting this, like the average sports fan follows like 10 athletes, two teams in one league, right? Like nobody cares about the team and league properties unless they bring something unique to the table. Um, and that's where someone likes the Hawks, right? And like everything that Melissa and team have done there, um, they are ingrained in their community. Um, they have an actual brand and a voice and something different um, that they bring. And it, it becomes part of the culture of the city and of the fan base. Um, that's something that a team can actually bring. And so I think they have to figure out first how they can serve the players because the players at this point have the leverage in this space. Um, I don't know how that will come to fruition. And I imagine that for many teams, it won't. Um, and they won't be successful in that. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah. Um, and, and as with everything, when it comes to digital, whether it be politics or sports, like the, the rules, the agreements, all of the kind of infrastructure around it, I think will always be a few steps behind, right? Uh, much as our legislators have, don't even know what questions to ask about data privacy. Um, Similarly, I think, you know, in CBAs, like no one even knows how to put something into place that will not only um, kind of create the rules necessary for right now, but for several years in advance. Yeah, that's part of it. And so, the other I think thing it'll I be always, a hot mess for a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, because everybody, again, you just you hit the nail on the head, right? Instead of looking forward and the changes that's evolving, everybody's trying to play catch up and make up for past negligence or mistakes. And, you know, by the time something gets settled, something new is going to be on the horizon. Um, well, speaking of the past, uh, Diana, I know you got to go, but we, we've, our relationship, the three of us has really predated blogs with balls, but, uh, you know, we like to 
you've, you've been there from the beginning, literally from the beginning and thank you. And, you know, brought me at least into the, the yard Barker network and, and, and that family. And, but, you know, really, I mean, my memories of yard Barker are one, you know, our original sponsor and supporter that enabled us to get blogs of balls off the ground, but also, you know, the relationships you and I have formed and certainly Pete's been great to us over the years. Um, but we're, so, we're some of the, the blogs of balls memories or even like blogger memories. Cause you, you did, uh, you know, have these relationships with with guys individually and gals individually. But, you know, what are some of the, the BWB years and moments that stand out to you? And you're not and you're not allowed to say you're not allowed to say you're not allowed to say Spencer Hall getting iced at, in Chicago because that's everyone's default. So we're taking that off good. the table. That's pretty good. <laughs> I, I, you know, one thing that I randomly think of every once in a while uh, that just makes me cry laughing uh, you guys remember Ben Koo, of course, right? Yeah, the, the Chinese, the, the Chinese, Chinese Jew. Jew. <laughs> <laughs> ben yeah. Koo, the Chinese Jew. Yeah. So, speaking of Chicago, we're in Chicago, and I think uh, lunch was sponsored by Jeremiah Weed, right? This is when, like the the sweet pea, whatever thing, was super popular. Uh, ben sitting next to me it was super hot. I think, right? It's summer. We're like in that kind of indoor outdoor space. Uh, humid. It ended up raining at some point, so it was super humid. Yeah. Well, yeah. I said it rained um, at some point, so it was really yeah. humid. Yeah, it was. It was a little rough. Ben sitting next to me, and just like it's post lunch, it's in the middle of a panel, and he's like, "Is there booze in there?" I'm just like, "Yes." He's like, "Shit, I just have like four of them." He was so hammered because he'd just like been chugging these things because he was hot and thirsty. And like he he was just didn't know what to do with himself. He was stuck there. Um it was I guess it was funnier in the moment and I'm not good at reselling it, but it was, it was a good little moment. No, I remember uh, like, I mean in fairness, yeah. Right we we probably needed more disclaimers on some of those events. I think that one that one was <laughs> oh, one yeah. in particular. Yeah. I mean, when they pour it from a vodka bottle, though, <laughs> like it is, it is flavored vodka. Um, yeah, I do. I, I remember Ben kind of swaying at that point, too, and somebody having to walk him back and, and inform him what he was drinking. <laughs> that was that was a good time. But uh, Diana, awesome for you being here. Uh, where can we get some Big Bang Wranglers at? Are we still doing those? Yes, yeah, still doing that. This is Clash with a K dot com. If you swim, uh, scuba dive, uh, Zaya Digital, Z A Y A. That's my current project. So that's like my um, little remote agency that I do work with several brands, including Star Talk. But I try to focus on companies that are doing things in the education, equality, or environment spaces. So I work with an African safari company. I work with like a big fintech brand. Um, and I work with the city of White Salmon, which is where I live in Washington. So nice. Well, a little bit of everything. <laughs> I love it, and, and, and I, I can relate. You're like my kindred spirit in that sense. But now I'm gonna have to go on Craigslist yeah. when when I make my next move, though. But <laughs> until <laughs> Diana. Sure. Thank you for joining us. Uh, awesome kind of going down memory lane with you. It was a lot of fun. Like I said, I mean, our, our relationship predates, you know, our events. And and I think our events were very much influenced by you uh, and that early team that you were with uh, back in the day. And certainly been awesome to see all the fun things that you've been doing. So 
Until next week, Diana, thanks for joining us. Kyle Bunch, I'm Don Pobia. This is the OGs. See you guys.